Welcome to this week's episode of Mum or No with me, Claire Wind, midwife and mum. Join me each week as we delve into topics from conception to kids in kindy with the aim to become more confident and well-informed mums. Hey guys, I'm so excited about today's episode where I interview Gail Tully of Spinning Babies. Gail is from America and actually she may be my first international guest, which is kind of cool. And I'm particularly excited about this conversation because Spinning Babies is a resource that I've not only recommended to many women through their pregnancy and many friends, in fact, who have found out that maybe their baby was posterior or breech. Uh, But then, of course, when my baby turned breech, I instantly started spinning baby-specific breech exercises to try and turn him. So it's a website that I've used a lot, and it's a philosophy that makes sense to me. It looks at the anatomy of women's bodies and the physiology of childbirth, understanding the baby's role in birth, to then empower women and birth workers to have some control over their birth experience with the aim to make birth easier. Gail shares so much in this episode, so it's definitely one not to miss. I particularly found Gail's insight into the relationship between fear and childbirth interesting, so let me know what you think of it. I hope you love it. Hi, Gail. Thank you so much for coming on Mum Will Know today. To get us started, would you mind giving us a little bit of an overview of who you are, who's in your family and what you do for work? Mm, Yeah, thank you, Clara. That's such a nice personal invitation. Well, I am a midwife in Minnesota, which is in the central of the USA at the top of the Mississippi. Uh, We have rolling hills and Part of the state is forested, part of the state is prairie, and there's beautiful water here, lots and lots of lakes. Mm. Um, I've lived here most of my life. My my mother comes from the state. My father came from Irish uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts? <laughs> he came from New England. And I now live with my husband, and we have, between the two of us, have six grown children and eight grandchildren. And, yeah, some of them live locally, and and they're also spread out around the USA. Um, And so what I do now is spinning babies, and I talk to people, and I get to write now, and we have quite a community to support spinning babies it's an approach about childbirth um, where we we're bringing a new paradigm to parents and providers parents and and birth professionals so we have two different branches in that regard and so it's lovely to talk with parents with you Claire Mm, yeah. So can you explain a little bit more about Spinning Babies? Um, what is the philosophy behind it and why did you see it as an important uh, company or, yeah, something to start and share with people? Well, it started out as a little idea. I was a midwife helping families and also a doula. Uh, in my beginning time, it was before the name doula came out and I was part of a grassroots home birth community and people were coming to see if they could find somebody to hold that space of physiological birth with them when they went to a hospital. 
and the midwives were busy. I wasn't a midwife by any means yet. Uh, I was a parent. And I said, I'll go with you to the hospital. And so I started to get invited. I was a calm person. And people, you know, people giving birth would say, I want to have a natural birth. Um, you know, I feel confident. I feel like I'm, I'm taking my walks and, you know, I'm not afraid. And so I want to have a natural birth. And as I, as I sat with people birth after birth, I started to notice how some people had a very straightforward birth as they expected. And some people had a very long and challenging birth and was baffling. Like they had the confidence, they had the willingness, they had the same kind of a birth team, the same kind of support. They read the same books. But now we're three days into it and talking about a cesarean or maybe having a cesarean because the baby won't come out, you know. And if I listen to the midwives in my community, sometimes I heard comments like, well, she just wasn't ready for it yet. And if I listen to the doctors in my community, I might hear her pelvis was too small. Mm-hmm. And between those two explanations, I didn't think either one of them was correct. I would see courageous birth givers facing their labor pains, their impatience, their patience, their mental and emotional challenges of a long labor with courage. And even if there was fears expressed, it wasn't the kind of thing that shut down their hormones and stopped their baby from coming out. Uh, Certainly that can happen. There can be those kinds of situations. But because there can be rarely that explanation was getting ascribed to everybody whose babies wasn't coming out. And that just wasn't real. So I started to ask the question, what makes birth easier? And I began, and I was open, and I began learning. I, you know, I learned from the parents giving birth. I learned from these amazing women that were bringing babies through their bodies. Uh, I learned from the babies. I learned from people around them, uh, yes, nurses, doctors, and midwives, but also the the grandmothers and the friends and, you know, one time speech, speech pathologist uh, taught me about, you know, relaxing and jiggling the throat with sound and, and noticeably we could see how that helped. And so I, I was open to all uh, sources of knowledge and I noticed that, you know, through history, there were, of course, upright birth positions, so that caught my attention. And I was going through the Duels in North America training with Penny Simpkin, and she was very interested in birth positions, and she had some other you know, techniques. We'll try this position when the baby doesn't come out, or we'll put our knee over here. And I started to learn that way, and then that wasn't really enough, um, and then Jean Sutton came out with optimal fetal positioning, and she really focused on helping babies engage in the pelvis. What positions in pregnancy keep the pelvis flexible and open, and when labor is going to start, what's a good position for the baby to get into the pelvis when the contractions were trying to direct the baby into the top of the pelvis in the beginning of labor or in the beginning of active labor? 
So I was learning that way. I was very appreciative for the work she was doing. And it really seemed to work well in the 90s and in the beginning of the aughts. And yet around 2005, things seemed to shift, Claire. It's a strange thing. And I talked to midwives, said, what's going on? There's more breaches. There's more posteriors. There's more long labors. What happened? And, you know, I think I can't answer that to this day. But there's a, yes, there's a shift in lifestyle. There might be a shift in food, like not enough natural iodine in the soil or other metabolic issues. You know, when we get into metabolic um, situations in our body where our body doesn't function as well, that affects baby's position. So we know that with low thyroid function, there's more posteriors and more breaches. That doesn't mean every posterior baby and every breech baby is because of low thyroid, but it is a noticeable increase. And so that gives us a clue, doesn't it? It's a clue that how we live and how our bodies function affects our baby's position. Baby's position is not random. The uterus is not a water balloon with the baby floating around. And then when the music stops, the baby drops down from that position into the pelvis. There's something more to it. And so I, I, I had been learning from body workers, such as Carol Phillips, a, a doctor of chiropractic here, who really had special awareness and skills with pregnancy. And I was learning about parts of the anatomy that childbirth education, midwifery, even obstetricians, don't really pay attention to too much about the soft tissues of the body. The pelvic floor, there's awareness about the pelvic floor. If it's overworked, it can make labor longer. Or if it's crooked, it can send the baby off to the side instead of straight down the pelvis. So there's some knowledge of soft tissues, but really the what I call the soft tissue pelvis, many people call it the soft tissue pelvis, the pelvic floor, the ligaments, the muscles, muscles of the buttocks, muscles in the legs, these really affect how the uterus lines up with the pelvis, how the pelvic joints are aligned. So I was learning about body work and how it relates to birth, and I was observing, and I'm sort of intuitive about how people are holding their body and, and making suggestions and seeing things happening. And so Around the year um, 2002, I think, I had a workshop with my peers, um, midwives, doulas, nurses of Minneapolis, and, and said, I'm going to call the spinning babies. And I, I have this theory. Why don't you come and, and see what you think? I, I, you know, I was wanting to write a book, but I didn't, I didn't want to do it without checking it out with my peers. So I presented this little two-hour workshop to them. And I was waiting for them to tell me I was absolutely crazy. And they loved it. And I've been doing workshops <laughs> ever since now. And um, and we have 14 trainers. And we have parent educators in Australia and the body workers called aware practitioners in Australia as well. And, um, and in the U.S., of course, in Europe. So... I had this idea. You asked, you specifically said, company, Claire, you're the first person to ever ask me about why I started this company. And that makes me excited because I had learned the long, rocky way about 
you know, women in business and, and small business operations and things like that. Uh, I'm still learning, but I had an idea and there was enough interest in it and requests for information and workshops and materials that I had to start a company around supporting the services to the requests. So here was an idea and then there was a big response and now I had to figure out a way to, um, you know, make materials to help spread the message people were wanting and needing. And so a company was born uh, as a second thought. (laughs) Mm, Almost naturally. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't feel too natural, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) A lot more work than something you'd think was natural. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the thing about birth is it takes care of itself, you know, where a business, you you have to really, (laughs) you have to really set it up. But it's the physiology in the body that gives us the innate ability to give birth. Spinning babies really refers to the baby's role in birth. The babies spin through the pelvis or the babies rotate. It's it's, uh, called the mechanisms of birth in the literature. And that simply means that the baby faces one direction at the top of the pelvis and faces a different direction at the bottom of the pelvis. And the reason why is because the baby and the pelvis fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. The head is longer front to back, and the pelvis is typically longer side to side. So baby often enters the pelvis facing a hip, not even facing front or back. Uh, most commonly, the baby would be on the left side facing towards the right. And because the back of the head is a good marker, we'll call that position left occiput posterior. The occiput's the little bony plate at the back of the head, right above the neck. And the left means the pregnant person's left. And occiput means the baby's head down. And left occiput uh, lateral in Australia or left occiput transverse in the U.S. means the baby's just settling down, curling up tighter and tighter into a cute little ball with their chin flexed to their chest so that the crown of their head comes into the pelvis. And when the baby's curled up like that, the smallest part of the head comes into the pelvis and the strong contractions work with the baby to bring the baby low into the pelvis through engagement and helps the head to mold into that funny little cone shape that people joke about. And that cone shape, that molding, helps the head get smaller and fit the pelvis in case the pelvis is a little bit small. So when the baby's curled up like that, especially the first baby, they adapt to the shape of the pelvis. And now the fun thing about spinning babies is in order to respond to that baby that's churning through the pelvis, I noticed that it's that soft tissue pelvis that welcomes the baby, opens for the baby, and slips the baby out or holds the baby back. Yes, the bony pelvis can do that too. But if we address the soft pelvis and make those tissues that can be steel hard, those muscles can be short and hard, Uh, we can do some things through pregnancy or really even in minutes at the birth 
to soften or lengthen those muscles. A long muscle is more soft and supple and functional. So if we have a long pelvic floor, if we put some length in the piriformis, which is in the back of the buttocks, you know, it's the it's sometimes people say, oh, my butt actually hurts or a nerve is shooting down my leg because that tight muscle in the butt is pulling and pushing onto that nerve and making it tingle or, or send sparks. And so if we do some things to lengthen that muscle, even if it's short term, it softens things up and the baby says, thank you very much. I can get into position, into my smallest little ideal or optimal position. And then when labor begins on its own or is begun by an induction, the baby's in position to fit the easiest. Now, we heard about this uh, posterior position, and posterior means the occiput is towards the pregnant person's posterior or their, their spine. So spine to spine, sunny side out, that's posterior. And that puts the long direction of the head up and over the pubic bone a little bit. And even though it's a little bit, it can really hold the birth back by days. In a first birth, particularly if someone hasn't already had a vaginal birth, if it's a third or sixth baby or a second baby and the baby's posterior, but the person's already pushed a baby out, this baby might just, you know, it might or might not be a long labor or a, a crazy, you know, challenging labor. Other So some posterior babies are born quite what a midwife would say easily. I don't know if the mother would say that. But the midwife might say, oh, that was that was quite easy. It was within a, you know, expected amount of time with the expected amount of effort. And some posterior babies just can't find their way out. So why is it hard for some and, and not for others? Sometimes it has to do with if the chin is tucked. So by adding what we say, we add balance to the body, not too tight, not too loose. And certainly not too twisty. When we're doing sports or in a car and there's a sudden stop, the, the, the skeleton of the body, the shoulders in the seat belt are held back, but the uterus still turns a little bit from centrifugal force of the sudden stop, let's say at a fender bender, or if you're playing, um, if you're playing like sports like tennis, racquetball, baseball, softball, something with a swing in it, golf, um, over and over again, it, you're twisting with a sudden stop at the end of the throw of the ball or the, or the bat or whatever it is you're doing. And so that puts a twist in a sudden stop, twist in a sudden stop. And those ligaments around the uterus can eventually get twisted up. Now the baby's trying to get past them, and it's like going past a bookshelf. You, you know, you're a book on a bookshelf. You're not going anywhere. So let's open those ligaments up by some very simple stretches. Now we we divide our stretches into two categories. We have daily activities where we're looking for range of motion. This would be walking, doing anterior pelvic tilts, doing some gentle yoga. Uh, stretches, hip openers, uh, windmills, different things like that every day. Calf stretches are wonderful. And then 
we have another set that we could call body balancing, where we're going in and doing an, some self-care or help with professional that, but self-care is totally doable with, uh, especially if you have an adult to help, but there's things people can do on their own that help lengthen the muscle. Now that might be temporary. So we do it repeatedly in pregnancy and even at labor. And it can make the difference between a, uh, a long labor becomes short, painful labor becomes manageable. And sometimes a posterior baby can get the room to rotate come through the pelvis or baby who's heading off to the side instead of straight down. And some reaches uh, will find the room to turn head down if the techniques that we offer address the anatomy that is holding the breech baby breech. There's a lot of reasons for a baby to be breech and our program addresses the main ones. And then we support professionals to get more training to help another set of parents, but there is going to be some breaches that are going to stay breach. Hmm. But posteriors, you know, with the, uh, we can usually help them turn and our, our aware practitioners or uh, an informed osteopath or chiropractor can usually help along with some of our added techniques. We're not trying to imitate the professional, but we have some, Techniques that come through body work that parents can do themselves gently at home. We are about physiology and not force. So we're not we're not teaching people how to turn a breech or turn a posterior manually. That's for the doctor to do. We're talking about removing a very twangy tight muscle by lengthening it and softening it, letting it sigh. And then if the doctor has to try to turn the breech, they're not pushing the baby's head against a tight pelvic floor, for instance, where the baby goes boing and bounces back up into the breech position, you see. It's like tight rubber bands in there. Let's let's soften them, loosen them. And um, That's ex- exactly how it felt when I had the ECB <laughs> like, attempt. Like it felt like he was on a rubber band and he just like snapped back into the position he wanted yeah. to Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've- that's exactly how I would describe it on a rubber band. And he was just pulled back to that position he wanted to be in. Yeah. And, and we say that just exactly that we, the baby wanted to be in that position. Well, maybe, maybe the baby mm-hmm. wants the breach experience. You know, I think some do. I've met adults that were born breach and they do have some special characteristics of sort of being pioneers and knowing their own you know, they know what they're about, you know, it seems. And we, personality. Yeah. And, you know, let's make room for that. I'm so grateful that you found professionals with the skills to let your child be born the way he was lined up. Mm. Uh, but most people in modern countries now have a hard time finding a breach team. Yeah. And, um, and they're facing a cesarean if their baby stays breech. Now, a baby could turn head down at any moment, but 3 to 4% of all babies are born breech at the end of pregnancy. And that means that 3 to 4% couldn't figure out how to turn head down or show, like, like we were inferring. Maybe they chose not to, but um, if, if we had 
let's say, you know, your little toddler is at the age where they can't quite open the door on their own. So if they wandered into their playroom and they shut the door behind them and they wanted to come back to you and you hear them banging on the, you know, well, maybe they're not banging on the door, but maybe they're like, hey, the door shut. I don't know what to do. We wouldn't necessarily say they want to be in that room with the door shut. You know, yeah, true. Uh, we would open the door and find out, you know, hey, are you OK in here? And then the baby in the womb is like, there's a there might be a muscle in their way, a twist in the fascia, the connective tissue, we hear of things like a twisted ovary or things like that, but we, we, or a tilted uterus, mm-hmm. a retroverted uterus. Those are things that happen when the ligaments aren't lined up. One's tight and pulling the uterus in one direction. The other's too loose. So we say not too tight, not too loose, not too twisty for body balancing. And on the Spinning Babies website, there's the Three Sisters of Balance, and there's many of their cousins and friends, because wherever you have three sisters, you have lots of other others hanging around, right? <laughs> so we have a whole series of things that people can try. And now I have an ebook on it, because as you found out, some people will be able to do a couple of techniques and their baby will turn right away. And, and a lot of people will work at it every day for a week. And some people, it's it's like that wasn't what the deal was. But they were able to try things that weren't harmful uh, and and know later that they did their all. You know, you did it. You tried it. Yeah. You gave it a go. Yeah, I, uh, I, I felt that way as well. Like I feel like because um, we found out at 35 weeks that he was breached and then I – went on to spinning babies straight away and we started doing that daily, my partner and I. And um, and then I think I had the ECV attempt at 37 weeks. So we had, what, two two weeks or a week and a half of the spinning babies exercises before that, which I was yeah. hoping would help as well. But, um, yeah, in the end he didn't turn and that was fine because we had that support for the vaginal breech birth. But I did feel like I, I didn't regret any of the, like, work that I'd done and I definitely felt like I <laughs> – um, either way was, you know, learning more about my body. And I think that that's helpful mm-hmm. despite the fact that he didn't turn. So yeah, I, I definitely found those useful. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. Some people use them not for baby's position, but for comfort. Yeah. Okay. I just, I just got a call from a lovely friend who's invited me to her ninth birth oh. and uh, she's had many posteriors. And I remember one time, she came over and we did the whole series of body work together like the aware practitioner does. And um, she, she was able to sleep that night and she called me the next day and said it was the first night of sleep she'd had in a month. Wow. And, um, you know, when someone's so uncomfortable in pregnancy, yeah. the doctor or midwife might say, oh, that's too bad. That's a pregnancy discomfort. Mm. But if someone can't walk, can't sleep, can't sit down, can't find comfort that's not normal the you know <laughs> what kind of design is that <laughs> that's not evolution's idea you know so why why not and it's often because we live in gravity and things can get twisted or they can you know if i sit too much or if i work out too hard both extremes um can pull me out of balance and we don't have to be perfect, but there is 
sometimes a muscle that wants to stay in torsion or tension. And then um, it might give us discomfort, especially in pregnancy when we get our weight changes in our body, you know. And so we can get uncomfortable later. And some people are very comfortable in pregnancy, but labor is super challenging because their body was not budging at all, wasn't flexible at all in the pregnancy. And now in labor, their pelvis has to do all that softening in the labor. Mm. So we just we just help the anatomy. The birth anatomy is much more than simply the uterus, cervix, the perineum, the vagina. That, you know, there's a whole bunch more surrounding it, a whole community of anatomy. Um, and doing these body balancing exercises on your own or with others can help you to um, get every, all the different body parts working in harmony so the baby can rotate and slip out. Mm, yeah. I am. Um... Yeah, you've mentioned that it's preparing for an easier birth and I guess in that uh, woman's experience as well, an uh, easier pregnancy if, if it was getting her to sleep better at night. Yeah. Um, and you've talked about how it's a kind of the combination of not only the baby's position but also the woman's anatomy or the, the soft muscles you were saying and the tissues in that pelvis as well giving way and creating yeah. space for the baby to move through. So... In terms of spinning babies' exercises or positions, are there specific ones that you do and it doesn't matter if you know the like position your baby's in and it's just you're pregnant and this will be helpful nonetheless? And then there are specific ones for, you know, a posterior baby or a breech baby and things like that? Yes, I would say like 95% are for everybody. And there we have a couple of the the traditional what's called the breech tilt, getting upside down on the ironing board, <laughs> is only for breech babies. Um, and then we have a way of mixing and matching for birth positions. And sometimes, like for the posterior baby, um, the uterine contraction itself is a help to help the baby turn out of posterior. Most do that on their own. But we can uh, make the pathway more supple by doing these exercises ahead of time. And then the baby typically will turn in response to the uterine contractions in active labor. So about 20% of posterior babies turn from posterior out of that position be, as labor is getting started. And then when labor picks up, about 20% of those remaining posterior babies turn again and then when you start pushing another 20 percent turn before their heads are visible or before their heads are born and um but about of babies that start labor in a posterior position about 30 percent stay posterior and of those of those posterior babies that did stay posterior only half of them are born vaginally in a typical birth um, it's one of the number one causes for going to a cesarean or a epidural, or if somebody wanted to be in a birth center or a home birth to transfer into the hospital to get maybe some IV fluids to get stronger contractions. And um, instead of using force to try to get the little one to be able to turn, let's take the obstacles out of their way 
and make it a softer journey, that it doesn't mean the body will be soft forever. It doesn't mean you're stretching out the muscles and they're going to be loose and sagging. It, it means helping them be functional. And physiology is our body's right. And it's, it's our innate ability. And what we're doing is giving people the power to manage things themselves, not saying managing the birth, that's not the work of spinning babies, but rather our anatomy and our preparation so that parents are empowered to know there is something. You don't have to wait and see how the roll of the dice goes for your birth. Mm-hmm. You can you can make a lot more, um, I don't know, snake eyes on your dice <laughs> so that your odds are for you. It doesn't mean 100% of the births will um, be able to be easy, but there's a spectrum of ease, and we don't know where any particular parent is starting from somebody who's had a lot of, a lot of uh, core strength, maybe horseback riding or ballet may have a further path to go than um, someone who is actually just does moderate exercise or someone who has had some car accidents might or falls may or may not have muscles that are holding the uterus in such a way that, you know, they might have a, like I had a lot of falls, but I had really fast births. So it didn't affect me that way. They weren't exceptionally fast. They were just, you know, straightforward. But, um, but other people who, you know, we know the story of Frida Kahlo, the great Mexican artist, Mm. uh, who was in a terrible bus accident, rolling over and over and over again. And she wasn't able to carry her pregnancies. Um, she had much, you know, such difficult tra- traumatic pregnancies and couldn't carry the babies. And um, I have to think back to her bus accident, you know, and, and wish that we had been able to literally unwind her uterus so that her pregnancy could continue mm. and be healthy. With that then, when should women start practicing their spinning babies exercises during their pregnancy? And then should women also be learning those positions and exercises in case of, like you said, empowering themselves so that then if they are in a labor that is stalled, possibly due to a posterior baby or like an asynclitic head or something like that, then they feel empowered and able to go, oh, let's try some of those positions again and see if that makes a difference. I think that's a lovely suggestion, Claire, that um, if they just have a visit at the website and maybe try the sideline release on both sides, um, some of the ones that are a little more confident in moving their body around might like to try the forward-leaning inversion, which is done once a day for all uh, pregnant women about midway through pregnancy. So some people, it's really a person's, personality do they like to prepare do they like to be innovative and prepare ahead they might like to start at 20 weeks some people will start earlier if they have an unusual uterine shape or they know they've had some history of of something that might have 
cause some imbalance. They could start before pregnancy. They could. We just don't want to be too aggressive in first trimester. I wouldn't recommend a lot of squatting uh, in first trimester unless the person already squats to defecate or squats to clean their vegetables for dinner. You know, if you're already squatting a lot in, in natural movements, then this doesn't apply. <laughs> but for the person who sits in a chair um, and uses a regular toilet, then just, you know, leave off the squatting in the first trimester and do calf stretches. Walk if, if it's comfortable. Um, do the daily stretches get a coordination of the muscles and free range of motion in the joints. And we all need that because it feels so fantastic when you have a regular gentle stretching routine using your body in all directions as some, maybe someone does some yoga. And I, I kind of prefer the slow and gentle methods because it helps the fascia or the connective tissue, which is where the mobility is. So the daily activities give mobility and stability for comfort and ease of movement and function. And then the body balancing is nice to do because we live in gravity. You don't need any more reason than that. And that might be a weekly activity or twice a week. Or if your baby is breech or posterior, you could do those things daily. You can do them in labor. Some people, Claire, some people like to say, oh, let's just see what happens. I'll just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, they could pull out the sideline release and maybe a forward leaning inversion. And that would help, and they go on and finish the birth quickly afterwards. Let's say if they were having a strong labor and nothing was happening. This is classic. Strong labor, everybody's waiting for the cervix to dilate. You know, the pain's growing, and the parents are getting bewildered. The providers are getting quiet as they wonder, is this labor going to turn this corner and continue, or are we going to need to do a cesarean? And... Uh, and somebody says, hey, let's try some spinning babies, sideline, you know. We put together things that aren't necessarily, they're not my technique. Sideline release is not something I came up with. But I learned it, and I saw how it was applicable, and I teach others when and where, or when and how to use it in a way that's safe and um, fitting. So, like I said, you could do sideline release every week or two twice a week at pregnancy or daily if you needed it. But in labor, it's like, how come this is, how come, if somebody's saying, how come this labor is, fill in the blank, it's a good time to do sideline release. How come this labor is not starting? How come this labor is starting off and on? How come this labor is this painful? How come this labor is this long? Um, we can try sideline release on both sides so that we make balance. And sideline release is a particular way of stretching the muscles to the pelvis and inside the pelvis, like the pelvic floor. Not stretching them out, but just releasing what's tight, you see. And the baby says thank you and very often rotates. Now, two things happen. You have a long labor and the uterus is tired. You might get an hour of rest. And at the end of that, you're in the next labor phase. So if you, this was active labor, 
the next labor phase is what? It's pushing. And so if it's a if you your uterus doesn't need a break, you could actually have the baby within the hour or 15 minutes. So that's if the labor was strong and we were expecting to see the baby. So we know something's holding the baby up. And sideline release releases that obstacle, if you want to call it that. And then um, the baby says, okay, now I can get my head, I can come down on the cervix, rotate and be born. Because the body has prepared everything else. It was just the baby was waiting on something. Or the baby might be sitting on the pubic bone, not engaging. Somebody's pushing. And the, the nurse, the midwife says, oh, your baby's still high. This baby's got to come around the corner. Well, then we're going to put our knees together and our feet out. We're going to put our heels out, point our toes at each other, and keep our feet far apart and bring our knees together, the opposite of what we're told to do. <laughs> and you can even feel the bones in your bottom if you if you very slowly go from knees apart to knees together and feet apart. You can feel the rocking opening and closing of those back door bones and say, well, why would I put my knees apart and put the bones in front of the baby's head? The baby has to squeeze yeah, I, through. I feel like I'm visualizing it with my hands as I like picture it <laughs> the way you're describing it, but yeah, I can picture it. <laughs> yeah. And you can feel it too. If somebody's sitting in a safe place, not in a car, please, <laughs> but you're sitting at home and, and you're just rotating that thigh bone um, by twisting your heel out, your knee in and your heel out. So you're kind of doing a fancy dance on your toes, right? Your toes are pointing together and your heels are pointing out. Your knees are together. You feel your bones go right into your hand. And then if you do the opposite, bring your heel in and bring your knees out. You feel that bone go closer to the center of your body. And that's right where the baby's head would be passing. So why are we putting the baby's, the bones in front of the baby and then telling you to push the baby past the bones, for heaven's sakes? So we look at birth anatomy a new way. We set up a new plan <laughs> that parents can choose themselves what they need. And, you know, they can look at the baby's position, but the baby's position is not the indicator of whether they should or shouldn't prepare for birth. Although if we do find a breach or posterior, we are usually motivated. Just like if we step on the scale and we see it a little higher than we thought we wanted, we might be a little motivated to skip a dessert but or take that walk. Uh, I'm saying this after sitting around in COVID and in the winter up here. <laughs> We're all feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. so the position might motivate us more, but it's still useful to do those exercises. Like you said, just like, you know, uh, yoga as well is still going to be beneficial and things like that. Daily stretches, like you said, is, is yeah. going to be beneficial. Yeah. yeah. People can pick what they're comfortable with and design it for themselves. But if we only go for comfort, if, if we have a restriction in our body and we only go for comfort, uh, we might miss a pertinent thing. So we don't want to do something to pain. I don't believe in no pain, no gain. That's that's not working with the fascia. but uh, there can be a catch in the connective tissue that we have to work that kink out. 
And so we gently do that so that it doesn't come back and surprise us later. And you'll just have better circulation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's always going to be beneficial. You mentioned earlier, like people who have had a car accident or say women who have been told they do have a retroverted uterus. So it's tilted, you know, a different way. Is that like a thing that they're just going to have to have forever? Or can you revert or turn the uterus the right way by doing certain exercises and loosening ligaments and things like that? Yeah, I mean, something, something disturbed the balance. And something needs to restore the balance. A person with a retroverted or antiverted uterus will be told, well, later in pregnancy, it'll take care of itself. And Because when the baby fills up the uterus and the abdomen, it's not apparent anymore. But nothing resolved the ligament or the muscle setup that caused that in the first place. So those items, those ligaments, they're like ropes to a hot air balloon. They're pulling. And so, you know, you've been living that way for years, so you don't probably notice. But once uh, they start to get restored and not too tight, not too loose, and not like one's really tight, one's really loose, or one's pulling into a twist, once that's resolved, which can happen in an hour or it could happen in a week or it could happen in a month, uh, the comfort afterwards isn't remarkable. People just feel lighter and feel better. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, I hadn't really thought much about the retroverted uterus, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't fix itself. And pregnancy hormones don't soften the ligaments. That's about the cartilage, you know. And, and you know, yes, there's some collagen in the fascia, but... Um, it's not enough just to go through the pregnancy or, you know, like there are changes there, but this is, this is pretty direct and it is, you know, it does deserve some care. So we do say people with high blood pressure shouldn't go upside down. People who are already very flexible so they can put their elbows inside out or they can touch their arm with their thumb, um, the same arm. (laughs) Um, you know, then they, they wouldn't do the sideline release because they're already super uh, loose, you know. So there's a couple of things that we would say, don't do it if this, and here's how to be safer about it, and here's how to be more effective about it. So we refer people to under our pregnancy and birth um, menu and spinningbabies.com, there is a list of techniques, and all our important techniques have instructions, ways to make it better and ways to, you know, what we should avoid it. Don't do it if this is such and such is happening. And they're not always the reasons why an average midwife would suspect. Like people think, well, if your baby's head down, don't go upside down. But you're missing some, you're missing some of the crucial points about the reason we go upside down for only 30 seconds. Um, and so, yeah, I don't need to go on and on about that anymore, though, but I, I refer people over there. To yeah, check yeah, it definitely. Out. Spinning Babies does talk about a skill called belly mapping. And you've said it's not all about baby's position, but this is a way that we can kind of figure out what position our baby is in. Why would that be useful? And is it something that all mums or 
partners and families can be learning? Yeah, the belly mapping method is something that I invented in 2004, I think, 2003, 2004, when I was going to uh, Penny Simpkins' gathering of doulas. There was a group of doulas in Seattle, and I was realizing, since doulas don't diagnose, um, how was I going to help them understand how to tell the difference between a posterior position and the anterior position, some of them are not even going to be touching the pregnant person's belly. So I said, okay, here's a set of questions and here's a little map. So I devised the belly mapping method to, to say, how are the kicks and wiggles? Where do you find the kicks and wiggles? And let's write that on a paper or a little map and then take a doll and match up. Where's the smooth part? Where's the bulging part? Where's the little flutters? Where's the bigger kicks? And then, and then there's a little bit of finessing with how we rotate the baby's spine because, you know, we have to think three-dimensionally a little bit. And once, once parents get some of the basics of it, they actually, I find that 80% of pregnant people know their baby's position. Just nobody's talking about it. Nobody's acknowledging that they could know. And uh, some of the exceptions would be if the placenta is hiding the baby, the placenta is in between the abdomen and the baby, uh, then, then the baby can tickle the, the placenta, but not the abdomen. So you, you miss that sensation. So you wouldn't know the fingers were there. And uh, so, yeah, the belly mapping book is available as a paper book, but a little hint to your Australian, a little... Encouragement to the Australian listeners, it's going to be coming out in a PDF form, in, in a new form, uh, this spring or, in a, or, or sooner, maybe this. Oh, wait, spring for me, fall for you. <laughs> Let me give you a month. In a few months. I'm, I'm hoping by March. Yeah, I'm hoping you can pick it up oh, by lovely. March. And it's for the third trimester of pregnancy. Mm. And we do have a lot of free information on our website. And I do refer people back to our Spinning Babies website to find out the information because, you know, as a spatial person and as a midwife, I'm teaching parents themselves the clues to how to reach in and feel their baby. And we can do this very safely um, with the pads of our fingers and using an even pressure caressing the contours of the baby's back and the baby's body. And in that way, um, you know, we're not doing anything that would poke the baby. And I know a lot of parents are concerned, can I, can I harm the baby by feeling the baby through the abdomen? And babies love that massage and they love to play little games. Kick back. Um, the tapping games or, yeah, with the flashlight or the tapping or, um, they love to listen to Beethoven, I hear. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's also about bonding. So you can tell your baby's position, and then the belly mapping book gives you clues as to what, you know, how that might show up in labor. And Spinning Babies has got what to do about it. So you, it's a cross-reference cross there. They work together, belly mapping and Spinning Babies, if you want. Or you can just have fun yeah. knowing your baby's position or estimating your baby's position. 
I think that's a lovely idea for bonding. Yeah, just kind of spending that time feeling your belly and talking to your baby and, yeah, thinking about, yeah, what it's doing in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, I kind of did it so that doulas could have insight. But, I, of course, parents are the ones that do belly mapping, not the doula. Mm-hmm. The doula can ask the questions. But uh, to find the importance of how it makes that, mythical baby into a real baby or you know just the look on the face of the mother and the parents of just really picturing that baby and feeling the baby moving and knowing what part is moving now and it's just it's just a beautiful experience Mm. um We'll get to the end, but this kind of final question uh, is a bit left afield, but I'm interested to know what your <laughs> advice would be to women who are pregnant and might be heading towards birth filled with fear around the birth. Mm-hmm. I have so much compassion and, and you know, so much experience. I'm talking with a, a mother now, another mother, not the one I mentioned before, who is quite concerned about her birth and how, you know, let's let's honor that fear and say there's fear is there for purpose. Mm. Now, we have fear because uh, our nervous system is telling us something's about to happen and it wants our attention. And the, it could be excitement. It could be fear. But the story in our head that goes with it often makes it fear. So our nervous system is very stimulated. In the Spinning Babies website, we've just evolved our first sister of balance. We have the three sisters of balance. And one sister has uh, came out of the fact that regions around the world have had some way to jiggle pregnant or birthing people to help the baby come out. But it turns out that some of the body work out in the world is noticing that jiggle helps reset the nervous system. And orthobionomy is one. And there is a beautiful, Rob Rich is an orthobionomist in Australia who's just written a beautiful book, Rob Rich. And one of his colleagues and, and uh, is Jenny Blythe, who's one of our Spinning Babies approved trainers. And Jenny Blythe and Fiona Hallinan have been teaching the bum jiggle and other uses of the jiggle in their birth works. And when I met them in 2014, I just love them and in, and they love spinning babies. And so we sort of cross-pollinated. Jenny Blythe and Fiona Hallinan are, are both trainers, teaching professionals in Australia. And they taught us uh, the jiggle for pregnancy. And it relaxes the, you know, relaxes the nervous system so that the sympathetic nervous system where fight and flight are and fear is can calm down and balance with the parasympathetic, which is where we rest and digest and feel confident. We're out in the meadow in the sun and we're not afraid. And so uh, we can try to change the story in our head and it might take decades. Or we can invite the physiology of the body and in 15 or 30 minutes, we our fear is diminished, our physiology has calmed down. And parents, I jiggle myself because I have a hip that 
bothers me. And I jiggle that hip until it relaxes. Uh, but we can have a partner or birth partner jiggle the hips of a pregnant woman while she's resting in a resting position. And, you know, seriously, in 20 minutes, it's like, what's the problem? I can do this. That's amazing. Uh, but it is amazing. And it, it would have to be repeated because the stories will rise up. It doesn't erase the stories. But there is eye movement therapy, tapping, quantum neurological reset. There are ways that reset the synapses, the electrical firing of the brain that ignites that story and dumps the body with adrenaline. And you can remember the story without the adrenaline after going through some of those techniques. They mix physiology with how the brain functions and fear is reduced. Breathing exercises are big. Yeah, breathing exercises are very important. And the jiggle is very important. And getting social support and sometimes professional support because some people have fear to the point where they need somebody to step in and do things with them and for them. Um, and then I would really suggest looking up in, in Australia, looking up birth work with Fiona Hallinan in, in um, Melbourne and, and Jenny Blythe uh, just north of Brisbane. And their students, they have students all over. It's very important not to tell a pregnant person not to be afraid mm -hmm. to diminish that because nature is putting a bit of anxiety in so they, they prepare to parent. If, if we didn't have some excitement, anxiety, or fear about what was about to happen, we wouldn't prepare for labor or parenting. And um, we want to look at how much is beneficial so that it's motivating for us to get ourselves prepared and how much is too much that's affecting our sleep, affecting our relationships, affecting our getting our resources met, our needs met. And so let's listen to that fear and also know that the story in our head is a story in our head. Um, it, we, the world is the world as the world is. And our perception of it is part of the story in our head. If I'm in the park at night and the moon's coming through the breezy trees and I just, I smell the eucalyptus and, you know, maybe I see a koala bear sleeping in the tree or something. I'm just blissed out, right? This beautiful water. But if I'm in that same park and I hear a grumbly voice and a, a big smacking sound like a, a board falling or I might think it's a gun or or if I, if I just was really stressed and tired, I might have a whole different park experience, but the park is the park. The trees are the trees. The moonlight's the moonlight. The koala bear is still there. It's my story in my head, whether I'm in a dangerous place or a safe place. And so labor is labor. The baby, you know, the baby wants to be born. We want to have the baby come out of our body. And uh, when we know that we have some agency to learn about our bodies and move with our bodies. And we get such immediate benefits from doing 
the different techniques that we lay out. It's not like you have to do it and wonder if it's going to work. You start to feel it in your body with repetition and daily use. We can't do it once at seven months and think it's going to work at birth. <laughs> we have to repeat it. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that's such a amazing perspective to have on, yeah, asking about childbirth and fear. But um, I found that really interesting and especially hearing about some of those uh, physical techniques that we can use, like the jiggling and things like that. Um, yeah, I have to do some more reading and look up um, Jenny and Fiona as well and and how you've added that to your three sisters, as you said. Yeah, yeah. You know, Claire, you know from your own little baby, you can probably remember a number of times where your baby was a little bit distraught because they were overtired or maybe you were in a public place and they were a little bit overwhelmed or maybe fearful. And the way you hold them to you and you're holding their shoulders in a still way with one hand, but giving their butt in the other hand a little wiggle and a little jiggle, right? A little, not shaking for sure. It's a little jiggle. And it's like that to calm the baby. And that's what we're going to do with our big hips as an adult is have our little butts shaken until we, until we just sigh and cozy up and smile and maybe fall asleep or maybe just get into a loving mood. That's very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, Gail, thank you yeah. so much for today. Um, you've mentioned the website before, but tell us again for Spinning Babies where people can access all that information. Spinningbabies.com. Oh, and we have a Spinning Babies Facebook Beautiful. and Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. But the spinningbabies.com has a lot of free information and a few products as well. Perfect. I'll share a link to those um, in the show notes for the episode. Uh, but again, thank you so much for chatting with me today and sharing so much of your knowledge around women's bodies, babies and pregnancy and birth. Um, I find it fascinating, the work that you do, and hope that many listeners will also. But yeah, thank you for today. You're so welcome, Claire. Thank you for inviting me to Australia through, through your podcast. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did and you've been enjoying other Mum Will Know episodes, I would love for you to support the podcast by heading to Apple Podcasts and giving Mum Will Know a positive review and a five-star rating. It's how others come to hear about it, so I'd love if you can help spread the word. If you want to find out more about Spinning Babies, head to the show notes for links to the website and social pages, as well as a free resource on skin to skin and a list of Spinning Babies parent educators and practitioners in Australia. To connect with me, catch me on Instagram and Facebook at Mum Will Know. I always love hearing any feedback you have on the show. And as always, I'll be back again next Tuesday, so hit subscribe so you don't miss it. And until then, have a great week.